Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Anna Gray and Jim Brown. Hey, welcome to our show, folks. DatelineLouisiana.com is our website. I'm here with Rhonda Gray. Rhonda, let's talk about some politics, but also have some fun. Talk about some music and some fun stuff today. Are you game? Are you on the team? Uh, sounds good to me. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to talk about this whole closed primary issue. It's become so controversial the newspapers uh, seem to be against it. The Public Affairs Research Council are against it. The good, other good government groups are against it. What we mean by closed primaries is when you have elections roll around, particularly for the legislature and for other offices in the state, statewide officials, the Republicans have their primary. Every Republican can run in it. No Democrat can. And the top two Republicans then run off. Uh, to see who gets into the general election. And so uh, uh, the top, and then the same thing with the Democrats. All the Democrats run together. Uh, if no one Democrat gets 50% or more, then the top two Democrats run it off to get the top vote getter, uh, the one that gets a majority. Then that Republican and that Democrat run against the other in a general election. Now, then you say, wait a minute, one-third of Louisiana is made up of independents and non-affiliated groups. What happens to them? Well, under the way the law is passed, it's up to the parties. If the parties want to include you, if the, if the Republican Party says, yes, we'll, we'll let independents vote in our primary, then you can do so. If they say no, then, then independents like me, I'm a registered independent, are cut out, and all you can do is wait for the general election where you can uh, vote for either Republican or Democrat. Here's the problem with that, Rana. Now, now, and let me tell you what, I'm a product of the closed primaries that is being produced. When I ran for the state Senate back in 1970, uh, we had the closed primaries. Uh, I ran uh, and got the nomination as a Democrat and then I ran against a Republican in the general election. Uh, you had the line split. Uh, here's the problem with that, and, and I, I don't, I don't disagree. I think you can, I can make a good argument either way. But let's let's go back to 1991, the race from hell. There was a open primary. If that would have been a closed primary then you would have had David Duke against Edwin Edwards, but you also could have had an independent candidate in the race. If the independent candidate got as little as 7 or 8% and it came from Edwards, David Duke would be governor of Louisiana. So you don't know what you get. You see the, a candidate could get 30 35% and be the ele get elected because you could have several other candidates. Just like in the presidential election, we have the Green Party, and we have a whole, we might have 18 different candidates on the ballot for president, usually because the money is so massive and the organization is so massive, you get the Republicans against the Democrats. But in a state election, uh, in this day and age to where you have these splinter groups, you could see the splinter groups having a huge effect on who actually gets elected. 
So we're going to have a closed primary. The governor wanted to go back to that. I think it's pretty good for the—I don't know what you think, Rana, but I think it kind of helps the Democrats, too, in the fact that they have their own primary. They're going out and seeking good candidates. It's not like you're saying, well, you got to jump into the open primary. You're going to have to run against the incumbent or run against a very powerful guy. So, no, we're going to get you—we're going to put—let all the Democrats run and be the— party head and maybe get some money on the national party and we'll run a much more stronger race. You know, in the open primary, the Democrat, Sean Wilson, who was the uh, head of the highway department, he was supposed to be this very popular Democrat. And I mean, he, he finished way down the line and didn't get nearly the vote he was supposed to get. So any event, you got any feelings about open versus closed primaries? Well, you know, we tried the closed primary again more recently than, you know, first of all, I think Louisiana loves the fact that we have a jungle primary, as we call it. And um, to me, I thought that favored Republican candidates in a state that has gone so Republican. You could have ended up in this last governor's race with a runoff between two Republicans, and they're pretty much assured. Now, maybe they don't want that. I don't know. But... um I think it would benefit the Democrats to have that. I mean, they would not, they would have smoother sailing to within their own party. There probably wouldn't be that many. You get there, you save your gunpowder for running against one instead of having to battle to get in a runoff and then. But I don't know. It has it has not been met with a lot of support. Uh, Governor Landry threw it out there, and uh, Senator Bill Cassidy was the first to say, oh, I don't think so. I don't think we want to do that, do we? And started questioning it, uh, several others. But I think Landry's going to take advantage of this honeymoon period and the the way he brought in and handled the Speaker of the House and the President's Senate. I mean, he buttoned all that down quickly and tightly. I think he's going to get what he wants. I don't, I don't think he'd undertake something like this that he thought he could get it. So, uh, well— uh, I can give you an example. In, in my case, I ran for governor of Louisiana, as Rana certainly knows. She was actively involved in my campaign in 1987, and we had several conservative candidates there. Uh, we had Bob Livingston, the Republican, garnering votes away, and uh, uh, you had Congressman Buddy Romer, who was a very conservative Democrat. Uh, it'd be interesting to see in the open, rather in a closed primary, what might have happened. Because in the open primary, you kind of get extremes. The the per candidate on the right gets a, a good nucleus. The candidate on the left gets a good nucleus. The more moderate candidate in the center, uh, more likely to get things done, quite frankly, kind of gets squeezed out. That's what happened to me. I got squeezed out. And so if I had my druthers, I would have rather run in a uh, closed primary situation versus the open primary system. Now, I went on to win, uh, uh, after, after that race, three more statewide races where I did it in, in terms of the uh, uh, the open primary. But if I had my druthers, I'd rather be in the closed primary situations. So. But I think you're right, Jim. The fastest-growing voting block are the independents, or as we call them, no party stated. Um, so it comes down to what you let them do. I mean, do you, some states let them walk up on election in a primary, walk up on election day and declare which one they want to vote in and vote in either one of them. 
So they become, to me, with such a large voting block now, they become the question of what is going on there. I've seen elections where in order to get the candidate they want as an opponent, they urged a certain number within their own party to go vote in the other party's primary to get the outcome that they wanted. I mean, it becomes a whole different level of gamesmanship there. Well, it's up to the individual party, the Republicans and Democrats, that they allow uh, independents to vote in their primary. Now, the other thing is, it's very attractive. You know, uh, if if you've got a Republican who gets uh, in their primary and a Democrat in their primary, if you could raise some money, you could run as an independent and say, have you had your fill of all this ridiculous politics? It's put a hat in there and put this Republicans and put the Democrats. It wouldn't matter who you pulled out. It's just all the same. If you're sick and tired like I am, Vote independent. Vote independent. Be a pretty good line you know, to run on if you could if you could raise the money to go toe to toe. And again, you're not talking about getting 50 percent. You're talking about getting maybe a little over a third where you win the election. So uh, it's going to give some interesting opportunities coming up here when when the this whole system is put in place and the election time comes around. Yes, definitely. And again, I think the independents are the ones that really gain uh, power here Definitely. in this. They become the ones that can tilt these elections. And I, I've never really heard Governor Landry explain why he thinks this is such a good idea. I mean, just one of the things he came out with, he's come out with so many initiatives. I mean, he's got a, a short, uh, early special session to deal primarily with redistricting, but pack that agenda, that call for that session with a lot of other things. Another special session coming right behind that. We're going to deal, hopefully, with crime. We're going to deal with out-of-control insurance rates. And all these things that we have going on, I fail to understand how the open primary or the jungle primary system is hurting us. Well, there's a method to his madness, Rana. He's not doing it just because he wants to kind of experiment or anything like that. Rana, I'm tired of talking about politics, politics, politics. I've had my, I've had my, I'm sick of talking about politics. <laughs> I want to talk about some fun things. Please do. And, and you know, you and I had a great time. Uh, my wife came with us and you and I, we all went down to New Orleans here recently and saw one of the greatest Broadway film shows I've ever seen in My Fair Lady. And it was just exquisite. You know, I didn't think, you know, Aubrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison in the movie My Fair Lady was just, I've watched it 20 times and I'm going to watch it 20 more times in my lifetime. <laughs> but we saw a Broadway show and I was going in there saying, well, I want to go to a musical, and I'll probably sit through it. If I'm not too enthralled, I'll doze a little bit. But it was a great show. I really, really enjoyed it. What did you think of it? You know, I think these traveling Broadway shows, we've both seen a lot of them, you know, on Broadway too. But these traveling shows really bring outstanding talent. And to get to go, you know, an hour away to New Orleans and see that level of entertainment— I thought one of the best things about it you don't always see anymore was the the set design and the staging of it was really like the old-fashioned musicals, you know, with the moving sets and the dramatic lighting and uh, 
Professor Higgins' library was beautiful and yeah, I thought I thought it was top notch. I really enjoyed it. You too. notice in the studio, no one has commented on my Professor Higgins vest. <laughs> Nobody wears button-up vests anymore. Well, that's what <laughs> Professor Higgins went, and I've got my vest on. I thought you were going for Mister Rogers. Mister Rogers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, <laughs> come on, producer Chris. We don't want to go off in that direction. But uh, you are but, looking very professorial today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the voices, uh, you know. You don't have the makeup and you don't have the clothes shots and nobody's going to look as good as Aubrey Hepburn. I don't care what you say. She was just perfect, perfect, perfect for the role. But the young lady that played uh, the, the role of Eliza Doolittle on the Broadway show had a wonderful voice. I would say a better voice. And I think in, in the My Fair Lady show, the voice was dubbed over for Aubrey Hepburn, wasn't it? Right, yeah. Well, Audrey well, Hepburn wasn't allowed to sing, I know. Well, her, her singing was not any better than what we heard on Saturday. or what. And Rex Harrison was kind of casually kind of spoken saying, this, this fellow that played Professor Higgins, he had a strong, strong voice. Yes. And, uh, and the so, character Freddie. That, uh, oh, oh big, my gosh, she was an crush. opera singer. <laughs> I would say the music was better than in My Fair Lady. Now, uh, so anyways, a great, great show. It just, it's just so nice to think that we live in a state where you have those entertainment opportunities. Uh, we talked about sports in the earlier show with the range that goes with so many great sports teams across the way. When, and when you go to entertainment, you can go to New Orleans and see Broadway shows. I saw they just released Jazz Fest. The Rolling Stones are going to be at Jazz Fest this year. And uh, so there will be thousands and hundreds of thousands of people converging on New Orleans. And by the way, if you've never been to Jazz Fest, uh, going to the show with 200,000 people is great. But what happens, a lot of those musicians then at night uh, permeate the various local clubs. So you can go to local clubs and hear national musicians that are performing. And uh, so the music uh, opportunities are so wonderful. And then, Rana, uh, I think it was, I'm trying to think what publication said, the finest musical listening venue in America is a place called the Red Dragon Listening Room in Baton Rouge, According Louisiana. to Rolling Stone magazine. Is that from Rolling Stone? Said it's the best in America, and you and I live a few blocks from there, and you and I have gone to the Rolling to, to the Red Dragon to hear uh, any number of great musicians. Uh, we heard John Ford Coley that uh, uh, with England Dan and John Ford Coley. You folks remember that great duo from the 50s and the 60s? Well, uh, England Dan passed away, but John Ford was there, and he was great. He told stories. Did you enjoy him? Yeah, yeah, he was great. And we saw one of your favorite singers, who also we've lost, his band, Jerry Jeff Walker's band. Oh, yeah. I, I, I've so the stories missed were incredible. I was the producer, Chris. You don't know this, but I would, you didn't even know who Jerry Jeff Walker is? I'm embarrassed to say I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're over 45 or 50 and you like country music, you like the Texas outlaw music, Jerry Jeff was in that group of Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson, uh, all uh, David Allen Cole. They were all in that group together. Chris, and, have you ever heard Mr. Bojangles? The song Mr. Bojangles? He's uh, really young. I've heard the word. Yeah. He's really young. <laughs> and that was been a national hit by 
Uh, Nitty gritty dirt band. That's right. So, <laughs> but that was written by Jerry Jeff Walker. I was the chairman of the Jerry Jeff Walker fan club in the state of Louisiana. I went over, uh, uh, when I was secretary of state, I went over to Hammond, Louisiana. And, uh, I think I, somebody on my staff called and made me a reservation. They said, well, can you hold a couple of tickets for Jim Brown? And says, he knew he's the secretary of state. Now I didn't say that. Well, I get over there and say, you're the secretary of state. Yes, I am. He says, would you consider being the chairman of the Jerry Jeff Walker? <laughs> so, sure. Sign me up. Sign me up. Uh, so anyway, I love Jerry Jeff. He passed he was, away a couple of years ago. He was one of those Texas outlaw singers, you know, singer songwriter. That's what Red Dragon is really um, doing is giving these older singer songwriters who have had great careers. Maybe they don't have their whole group together. Although Nitty Gritty Dirt Band's going to do a farewell tour. As soon as they're finished with that, I feel sure we're going to see them Here pop them up at Red Well, Dragon. and uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Peter Yarrow. Yeah. Uh, he was the Peter and Peter, Paul, and Mary, the great folk duet that was so pop. I mean, at the top of the charts in the 50s and the 60s, he was did a solo act just last week. Marcia Ball. I mean, my gosh. Joan Baez performed uh, there. Do I? Joan Baez performed there. I heard Joan Baez, and I have my picture with Joan Baez. And, uh, I mean, she's uh, uh, iconic, and uh, uh, her voice, she has some problems with her voice, and she's not singing. She'll never sing again, and one of the last concerts she ever performed was, uh, was at the Red Dragon. If you folks don't know where it is, it's a place on Florida Boulevard in Baton Rouge. People come from all over the state to listen. They have couches all over the place. You go sit in, and uh, <clears throat> most of the shows are sold out uh, when— uh, Chris Maxwell, the head of uh, Red Dragon, puts up the show on the website. I mean, there are shows that just sell out almost immediately. <clears throat> and uh, uh, so uh, John Prine was a wonderful folk singer and had so many great hits. His son is playing next week, complete sellout. You can't get in. So uh, anywhere, so fortunate there. And I could talk to you about venues in Shreveport up in Alexandria, my hometown of Faraday, the Delta Music Museum, which is the state music museum up there, Jerry Lee Lewis, Mickey Gilly, so many great country singers. Anyway. And when the Red Dragon has a really bigger act and can can draw more, they move it to the Manship Theater, which I think is one of the best small theaters in the state for a performance like that. There's not a bad seat in that theater on three levels, very close to the stage, and talking about Chris Maxwell, he does some shows there, too, which are great. Uh, and you really, it's a real different following for singer-songwriters. I mean, people are really interested in the people that write the song. You heard of Jimmy Webb. Jimmy Webb's written so many great classic songs. I saw him there at Manship. I saw him, and, yeah. And, uh, uh, he wrote a lot of songs for Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell loved his songs and recorded almost everything he'd write. Webb made a fortune just by being the songwriter, uh, but I saw him there at the Red Dragon and, and got my picture with him on my website at jimbrownla.com. You can see all these musicians. Anyway, I didn't want to get distracted, but we're into the spring, and this is music, uh, best time of year coming into the spring, moving into Jazz Fest, <clears throat> so, so many local venues. I hope Expanded all you Expanded Blues Fest in Baton Rouge this year. It's mm. going to be bigger than ever. They're adding a fourth stage, downtown Baton Rouge. And like to your point, you have these music festivals in the spring, 
And between Jazz Fest, Blues Fest, and Festival International in Lafayette, Lafayette uh, the KDA they the go Festival. back and forth and play at these different weekends. They, they're all on top of each other, and that's how they're drawing international press, and they're drawing uh, people who come and, and drive to the three places and and get to see incredible talent. So it is a great time to, to be in Louisiana. I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping that David Letterman's not listening and hears that you were president of the Jerry Jeff Walker fan club because I always thought you were president of the David Letterman well, fan club. I was. Club. <laughs> I was. Uh, and a quick little uh, anecdote to you. Uh, when uh, Letterman went to a different time slot, uh, the local TV station in Baton Rouge and New Orleans uh, t- didn't run his show. They were running some type of reruns they thought they got a better viewership from. Well, young people that were Letterman's fans were just incredulous. They were so upset, so mad that David Letterman was not on, on the air. So they started petitions, and some of the folks asked me, because I was the Secretary of State at the time, would I consider heading up to get Dave back on the, the stage and be head of his fan club? I said, well, sure I would. And they, uh, oh, they played that up big. And and uh, so then after a couple of months of uh, people protesting, there's people holding signs out of side of Channel 33 here in Baton Rouge and other stations. Oh, picketing, yes. Oh, picketing, <laughs> yeah. So finally they all agreed to put Letterman on the air. So the big night comes. Well, I made him an honorary secretary of state, which sounds impressive. But, <laughs> you know, that and a quarter will, will uh, you know, I'll give you one, you know. But uh, I had some some big uh, for, forms uh, up, uh, big certificates. So I made da- David Letterman Day, which I didn't have any authority to do. I said, I, I, Secretary of State, I hear both proclaim David Letterman Day the day he came on the air. I didn't have any authority to make it David Letterman Day. I just uh, usurped the authority. So the show starts, and Don Rickles is on the show. And so Don Rickles comes out in the show, and they're talking a little bit. And Paul Schaefer says, wait a minute, Dave, wait a minute. Stop, stop, stop what you're doing. You're not going to believe this. We just got this certificate delivered to us, and it's from Louisiana, from the Secretary of State. You've been named, uh, it's been named David Letterman Day all over Louisiana. I've got the certificate by James H., quote, Jim Brown. (laughs) And then for the next couple of segments, uh, Rickles and, and Letterman talk about Louisiana. Yeah, yeah They should yeah. have given me a special— They very cleverly made no mention of the fact that it was because he had been taken off the air and got back on. It was just like they're having a state celebration of David Letterman. David Letterman, right. So that was the highlight of my career, Jerry Jeff Walker and David Letterman. So <laughs> I was a little more involved in David Letterman than I was in Jerry Jeff, but I talked to the, I talked to the people at the Letterman show a lot— during the couple of weeks, and the students, the LSU students that were behind it, were making videos, and Cyril Vetter owned Channel 33, and he was having fun with it, too, because it was bringing more attention to his station, probably, than he imagined. In fact, to tell you, uh, and producer Crystal like this, so it's tonight in Baton Rouge when David Levin is going to come back on the air. Well, Vetter, who owns the station, uh, it comes at 10.30, 10.31, you're expecting the music, and it says, 
We're going to take the next 30 minutes and just play some pastoral music. It was a cow on the screen or something. <laughs> and, uh, no, 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 you know, did that for about 15 seconds. What? What is going Where's David Letterman? <laughs> then he came on and started the show. So they, they kind of had some fun yeah. getting back at all these folks. So. That's funny. <laughs> all right, folks, we've rambled enough about that. We went all over the, the map in our show today. We need to cleanse our mental palate from all the pol- politics, though. So that well, was a good one. That was a good idea. Needed to do so. Listen, thanks, you folks, for listening. If you want to see all of our shows that are just full of humor like we heard today, you can go to our website at uh, www.datelinelouisiana.com or get wherever your podcasts, uh, you can get those there on the Dateline show. We've got a year or so of podcasts there you can listen to. And if you want to email us, you have any show suggestions, we'd like to hear from you. You can email us at Huey, H-U-E-Y, at datelinelouisiana.com. And I just want to give a quick shout-out to Josh down in Terrebonne Parish, who I heard from this week, who's been listening to the podcast, and say hello to him and his family. And encourage everybody. We love to hear from you. So let's uh, let's hear from you, what you'd like us to talk about, and um, let us know. Uh, Claudia from Cottonport. Uh, we regularly a hear regular from listener, and well, we hear we, from her a lot. Yeah, yes. We've got a lot of great listeners out there. So glad you're all listening. Hope you're uh, you're having a great early spring. The weather's treating you okay. Glad you're listening with us. Thanks, producer Chris. You folks take care, Rana. Let's say goodbye to everybody. One, two, three. See you next week. Come on, Rana. One, two, well, one, two three. See, See you, you next, next week. week. <laughs> okay, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dateline Louisiana with Jim Brown and Rana Gray. To subscribe to this podcast.